Hola, yo soy Andrea Márquez, and this is La Nikis, a show brought to you by La Red Hispana and the Hispanic Communications Network for the new generation of Latinx. This season, we want to focus on empowering you to follow your passion and be smart about chasing your dreams while speaking to Latinx from all over, de diferentes colores y sabores. It's been one year of Latinx, and I want to thank you for all of your support. On today's episode, Ariel and I take a look back at how we got here, lessons learned, and why we do what we do. Make sure to join Latinx on Instagram and TikTok at Latinx. You can also find out more on our website at wearelatinx.com. Andrea Marquez, ¿cómo estás? It's been a crazy wild ride, hasn't it? It's what are we? Almost a year of Latinx? On the 3rd of April we had it it was a year. So a year and days. A year wow. and some weeks. Um <laughs> so this is fácil. It's it's been it's been a while. I remember the the beginnings of Latinx when you were stressing about the concept when you were stressing about what it would look like, what yeah. it would sound like when you were trying to find a voice. You've definitely come a long way. Um, I think that you've definitely found your voice and you've definitely made something something special with Lionekis. But since this is the one year mark, we want to talk about how did the idea come about? How did you were how did you think about Lionekis and or what needs did you see that you were like, you know what? Let me do something about it. One of the things I've enjoyed the most about Latinx has been partnering with you and doing things with you. I remember, and I think this is tied to, I don't know if you remember like how we met and all of these things. It's tied to how Latinx got started. I remember how we met, yeah. Like, because you were an intern when yes. I first got there, right? Yeah. To HCN, to Hispanic Communications Network. I remember talking about these things with you and two of the other interns that were there that I wanted, part of my job was to listen to the other shows at, in the company. And I was listening to them and I was like, these are great and they offer a lot of things for our community, but it, none of them resonate with me, especially because they're in Spanish. And I, I think the company needs something a little more um, with a younger audience and something bilingual or English, right? And I mentioned that to you guys, and I and I think the very first idea I, I had was geared toward college students. And I remember I told you like, maybe I should do something about like helping people applying to colleges or like, which I do do that too, by the way, um, but something related to that. And I remember you specifically were like, I think that's a great idea. Like, what do you know about this? And we talked about applying to colleges and the differences when you're an international oh, student versus- yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was also about like finding opportunities because at the moment like you said i was an intern in mm -hmm. in in dc and we were talking about you know like people don't know the opportunities that are out there how you can find internships because and it happened to me when i was first a student and i thought of dc i saw it as something that was not reachable so oh, that's dc like the capital like how can i even go there but um the truth of the matter is that it's it's doable And, and we were talking about that, how you can voice those things and how you can bring these things to light. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I was inspired by you guys too because we were the same age and well, we hung out all together and I was always like, huh, like 
you guys had a very different internship experience than I did. I There's a lot of things I didn't know. So I, that was the first idea behind Latinikis. Obviously, it wouldn't have been called Latinikis. But the idea there was, let's do a podcast, because that was growing as well, in English, for this age range. And I played with it a little bit. And then I remember Jose was like, don't, don't um, limit yourself to just those topics. Why don't you do something for a larger Latinx audience? And you talk about a little bit of everything with a Latinx angle to it. And I was like, huh, that seems a lot more ambitious, but sure, let's try it. I remember doing a bunch of decks and slides and I had all of these documents and I was so stressed out because I was like, what are we going to talk about? What are we going to do? So, so, so before we move any further, I, there is something that I really want you to talk about because I remember this happening and it's the name. Oh, All yeah. the stuff that we went through, like trying to find the name. How do we come up with the name? The previous names, because it wasn't always Lionekis. Yep. So can you talk about how did you came up? How did you come up with the name? I have to give credit to Kosan because I think ultimately he's the one who decided on it. I came up with a bunch of lists. So the first thing was, is it going to be in English, Spanish, or Spanglish? Is it going to have the word Latino and Latina in it or what? Is it going to have Latinx? So the conversation was always like, do we want it to have the word Latinx? Because a lot of people are against that name. And so does by it's a new concept, it's a new concept. Are people going to get it? Um, do people know what Latinx is? Um, do you run the risk of alienating a bunch of people that don't like the word Latinx and don't understand it. It was a lot of conversations on this. And I remember the first name we came up with was Altavoz. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and everyone liked it. Everyone agreed to it. And I was like, yes, until I did a little more research. I hadn't, I put up like a huge list and Altavoz was like the more popular one that everyone in the office liked. So I did a little more research and there wasn't something exactly named Altavoz, but very similar where I was like, uh, if someone Googles this, they're going to get like a bunch of different things. So I was like, no, it has to be a little more unique in that sense. I remember even setting up the Spotify and everything. Like I still have the Altavoz Spotify for some reason. Um, but I was moving toward that. Right. Yeah. It took so long for everybody to be on the same page on this. Yeah, I remember it was almost set in stone. Yeah, it was almost set in stone. Like everyone was for it. I started doing the decks with that title in mind. It was great until I decided that. And I was like, okay, this isn't going to work. And I thought, hmm, do I want it to be in Spanish? I don't know. And then I also started thinking like the word Latino isn't there. Like, what is this about now? Um, and so I spoke to Jose about it at length. And then I came up with a various names that had the word Latinx after I decided that we were going to do Latinx because I said, you know what? That's the more inclusive name. I don't really care if it alienates a lot of people that don't like it, but that's accepting everybody. The X represents whoever you want to be, Latino, Latina. It encompasses people from all shapes, sizes, colors, whatever. So how did the decision come about to actually spelling out the word Latinx? as opposed to just having the letter. Very simple. Jose just decided it one day. I gave him a list that had the word in it. And then he looked at the list for a, quite a while. He, we weren't even talking about it. Like he looked at it and he was like, let me mull it over, like decide which one I like the best. 
And then he came into the office one day, we were talking about something super like different to that, nothing to do with the podcast. And he said, oh my God, he interrupted, he interrupted himself during, during the conversation. And he was like, Latinx. And I was like, uh-huh. And he was like, the word, instead of the X, put the word X. And he was like, why? Because X, he gave me this whole explanation, which like in the office, yeah, because yeah, like in the office, you know, I'm known, I was known as like the, la niña fresa, right? Uh-huh. There's this like joke in Mexico that like las niñas fresas dicen como, ay, X, which I don't actually say, but I, yeah, I understand the concept. That, yeah. If I do say it, I'm like X, X, and then we move forward. Um, and it's not a niña fresa thing, really. I think that's very much like a novela stereotype, but that's not usually what's in okay. real life, I think. It kind of just fell into place. We started playing it with more and more. Everyone kind of agreed to it. Everyone liked it. And we and it stuck. And I just kept moving forward because one day I decided, I'll, I'm enough decks. I was like, enough decks, enough documents. I'm just going to do an episode. Just start because we can keep going and and i and we kept playing with the vo- like the hola yo soy andrea marquez and this is lanekis like oh we kept God. playing with you that you know it by heart <laughs> <laughs> yes i do and everything. Yeah. well i've done it for 50 some episodes now so that's a huge that's a huge uh, mark and accomplishment i would say 50 episodes of what I would call great journalism, because you, mm-hmm. you do really a great journalism work in your episodes, everything from script to the guests that you have to the stories that you're able to bring to light out of these um, sometimes guests that you wouldn't think would fit the notion of what the podcast is doing. But at the end of the day, you, you bring their stories and you bring something that really does have essence you know, to what Latinx is. And, and that ties together to what you were saying earlier, you know, that what it was that you saw uh, and what was the need that you saw uh, when you first started working at La Red Hispana and the, the shows that we were working with. And you saw that there was a need for La Red Hispana or Hispanic Communications Network to do something with, you know, this demographic, you know, this millennial demographic, ni de aquí, ni de allá, born here or brought here really early, multicultural, multi-bilingual, uh, trilingual sometimes, you know? So, so how, do you, how do you go from that concept to finding the people that will fit this concept that seem mm-hmm. very, you know, very niche, if you will? Yeah. Um, I do a lot of research. I mean, just basic journalism stuff. I come up with an idea in my mind that is sometimes fleeting. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, Marvel is like big right now, right? Because of all of the shows that are happening in Marvel. I started looking at, I was like, gosh, I love this. I love these shows. I love that there's all of this conversation on TikTok going on on this. Um, this is what people are waiting for. And I love that Marvel was able to do this, taking, taking us back from the binge, you know, and waiting each week for a new episode. And I, and I love that. It's like a little pause, like, yeah, like giving you like spoonfuls and spoonfuls. Yeah. Right. And, and, and they're geniuses because they keep the conversation going during the week. Like the fandom is doing the work for them. So it's pretty great. Um, and I remember looking at the credits once and what caught my attention 
was there was like a Gonzalez or Rodriguez or some Hispanic Latino last name. And I was like, wait a minute. Like there has to be someone at Marvel or something that like pretty high up or not even, but a Latino, a Latino that I can talk about comics with. So I sent a message to Joe Quesada, who is one of like the, he was, a, he, right now he's the executive creative director or something like that at Marvel. He hasn't answered me. So Joe Quesada, please answer me. Um, but <laughs> poke, poke him on Facebook if that's still a thing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I don't know. No, I don't know if poking is still a thing, but I'm going to follow up. I haven't followed up. And he might say no, because I get that. I'll, I actually don't get that a lot, but he, people either don't answer me or they say yes. I've never had like a no, no, I can't do this. Let's say in an ideal world, he says yes, there we have one person. And what I had to do my research before asking him. It's not like I just was like, what's the first Latino that comes to mind? No, I, I researched on his background. I know why I want him on the, on the thing. And it's mainly because of the story. I chase stories. I, many of the people that I've reached out to come through that. Like I also thought of, I was looking at a TikTok of a figure skater and I was so entertained. So I was like, wait a minute, what Latino names do this that I, that I know? And I research Latino figure skaters. Um, I've done this with journalists. The last episode I did with um, Enrique Acevedo, I was like, what Latino journalists are killing the game? I usually like researching like who are the firsts to do something. Enrique Acevedo, the first Latino correspondent on 60 Minutes. Elena Ochoa, the first uh, female astronaut Latina to be, you know, like things like that. Many of these stories come to me. So I've had the privilege of having you know, people reaching out to me and saying like, this is a great story I'd like you to share. And then I think about it, decide what the story is there. Um, at the end of the day, and you'll see that in Enrique's episode, which I like as well, because he's a journalist, is it doesn't matter if you interview like Obama or something huge. It's the story that we're drawn to. And that's what, that's how I make the decisions on who to bring on to the show. Everyone has a good story. about your first episode and it's gonna do a little recount of what it was doing your first episode to what it was doing your latest episode and the things and I would say the the hurdles and things that you've learned along the way and what I want to center on is like how were you able to find the voice that you wanted to give like Nick is from the first episode to where we are now I was really nervous at the beginning. Um, I remember I was sweating when I was both recording the episode and interviewing Andrea um, Molina. Andrea Molina was my first interview. First episode, it was on coronavirus and living with it. She had coronavirus. She was a teacher, if I remember correctly. Yeah, she's a teacher oh, and teacher, yeah. she, we talked about, you know, her experience. Now it just seems like a year into it, I'm like, <laughs> everyone's had coronavirus, you know, like it's, it seems such a normal thing now. Um, and, but back when I was interviewing her, it was this, she was definitely a spark in everything else that followed through because I learned so much in that episode, what shape I wanted to do it. And, and as I mentioned right now, I just decided one day, I just need to do one. 
it might not be the best, but if I don't get started and I keep doing all of these decks and these outlines and these plans and whatever, we're going to get nowhere, nowhere. So I prepared as best as I could for that interview. Um, obviously I have a journalist background, so it wasn't like learning how to be a journalist 101. Like I knew how to conduct interviews and basic things. And I think that the story there was very much the circumstance. I chased an event like coronavirus. That's what we want to talk about. Let's find an angle. The journey I've lived through from that first episode to now, I'm a lot more confident, obviously, um, because I've had many times to practice now. But I also, I feel like I'm a lot more in the moment empathetic. From that first episode, I remember I was so nervous. And so like, since I had my list of questions, I was so focused on, we have to hit every question so that the story has this arc. And like the outline is, you know, like point A to point B to point C instead of living through the conversation. Mm -hmm. And that's practice. And obviously nowadays I can make a list. Many times I don't hit every single question. Sometimes I don't even look at the list of questions anymore. I just let the conversation take me. And I focus much more on the story in that way, because I think I initiated this thinking as a producer. I'm still thinking like a producer, but I'm much more, I guess, a conversationalist. I'm much more of a listener. I'm much more of a, let's see where the story takes itself instead of me trying to guide the story so, so much, like controlling it to that point. Obviously you do your research and you know who you're talking up to and you know, what they do and their background. Uh, but you've come from, let's say, do it um, textbook style, uh, trying to hit all the points to realizing the nature of the medium that you're working with, which is podcast, and realizing that as opposed to being something that you would see on television where you have to have your points, your, your questions and everything, it's a talk, it's a conversation between two individuals that have something in common and then these stories will come come to life so that that's what i that that's what i get from what you're telling me you know that you've you've come to realize that it is within the within the essence of conversation where stories uh, blossom i guess absolutely i think that hits the mark and also always remembering that what's at the core of everything the latinidad um regardless of what the story is, I always try to bring that into the conversation. Like we can be talking about, I don't know, something really random or specific. And I always remember to ask like, where does your Latinidad fit into this? Because that's a major, major part of a, an individual's being and personality and background. And that definitely puts into perspective a story when you know that the person is a Latino, um, what country they're from, what generation they are, second, first, third, like, that gives us a lot of context already. And it's always really important to me to remember that regardless of the story, this is still Latinx and that's what I'm chasing at the end of the day. What about you? What, how, what, how has this affected or added to your Latinidad? I think for, for me, it has definitely made me hyper aware now of my Latinidad. I, I obviously always knew I was a Latina and aware of it and, and the differences that came out of it. But since I started Latinx's, I'm aware of the differences in Latinos themselves, because I think I did fall into this. I hate saying this because everybody says it all the time, but 
I did fall into this idea of Latinos being a monolithic culture. I did. Being a Latina myself, um, I just assumed that all Latinos, because we're very similar and I grew right. up surrounded by Latinos. So to me, that was my culture. Like I, yeah, there was the same last name. Exactly. Yeah. So I was like, okay, my, my parents, my dad's family comes from Honduras. My mom's from Mexico. And para mí era lo mismo. O sea, pero porque... Era, la, era lo normal para mí. I saw that as normal, so that to me was the same. Latinx has given me the privilege of interviewing Latinos all from all different backgrounds, different generations, different places in you know the United States, and then coming from different countries. And I started realizing that <clears throat> yes, we do have this one thing in common, of course, that we're Latinos and we speak language, the language or we know the language because many don't even speak Spanish, but we're very different. We have a very different background and, and, and I, I learned a lot. And this is big for me because I can tell you like a year ago, I didn't know a lot. When I thought of Latinos, I didn't think of like Dominicanos, Puerto Ricanos, este, Colombianos, Hondureños, Salvadoreños, o sea, no, I, I understood they existed, but I didn't think of Latino and think of all of that. I would think of Latino and think of Mexico porque yo soy mexicana and that's what I know. I wish I would have thought of these things a lot sooner in my life, but that's why I'm also thankful for Latinx. Definitely has made me much more aware of my Latinidad. I'm, I'm very proud of being a Latina. Very, very proud. You know, there's a, a saying, and I don't know if it's become a cliche or not, but that people are limited by their own experiences talking to other people you know and even though you're not traveling or you're not going to these places but your horizons are being uh, broadened by the experiences of these other people that are coming into your life into the podcast and, mm -hmm. and, and reaching you know your own life by knowing like wow like there is such a rich culture out there of Latinos that literally come in different like shapes and sizes and and flavors and all and what have you but I do want to talk about some of I don't want to say favorite episode, but some of the, the episodes that really have put a highlight, if you will, into what Latinx is, is something that, that you can remember with a wow, this is an interview that really impacted you personally, or that you think this is a, an interview that really is going to impact the, the audience of Latinx is? Yes. So I think I have four. I'm not going to talk in depth about them because hopefully everyone's listened to them or will listen to them. These are the ones and I if usually you haven't recommend you go and listen to them. Yes. If you haven't, I recommend you listen to them. They're very good. Um, if I do say so myself, they're good because of my interviewees, not because of me, guys. I, I'm very aware of that. When I talk about Latinx, when I introduce it in an email, for example, these are the four that I link. The first being the interview I did with my mother, my mom and Emily Cuarenta. And it deals with two people who have chronic illnesses cancer and multiple sclerosis and how they have been navigating the pandemic it's in it's bilingual so the part the portion with my mother is in spanish and the portion with emily is in english very different ages because my mother is in her 50s why did i question that because she seems She's young in my that. age still <laughs> yeah yeah it's because she's like lower 50s like she's still young um and then there's emily cuarenta who is in her 20s y ahí ya no me dejaron salir, me dijeron, oiga, viene la, la ambulancia por usted, y les dije yo, creo que están exagerando, yo puedo caminar. No, señora, dijo el doctor, mi responsabilidad es decirle 
que no puede salir va a empezar a convulsionar. Se me hace que no entiende el señor qué es lo que tengo. Me dice, claro que sí, tiene un tumor de casi 8 centímetros en la cabeza. No la puedo dejar salir. Pero yo desde ahí veía todo como borroso. Flavio, mi esposo, no entendía. Y también veía, este señor está mintiendo. Yo no lo entiendo, él decía. Y de ahí vino una... Cuando llegué al hospital y lo volvieron a confirmar, pues entra como una etapa de esto no es verdad, no me está pasando, pero aparte no reaccionas, o sea, andas como que todo lo oyes en eco. It was a very emotional episode for me, um, and I, it's one of the more popular ones. I love that episode. It really, it's a window into one, who I am, but also the, the people we don't think about because unless your family has someone with, your direct family has someone with a disease like this, or you have it, you don't really think about these things because we all live in our own little world. And I get that. So that one to me is very Latinx because it was in both of these languages. These are two Latinas um, with something very, something in common. And yet it's happening in this broader world where like, we all know what COVID is. So that's something that no matter who you are can relate to. The other one is the first Hispanic women on death row. This was with the documentary director, Sabrina Van Tessel. She is a marvelous human being and I respect her so much for the work she did. She does, she keeps doing. Melissa is, you know, the woman on death row. She, and she will be, you know, moving forward with the death sentence. You know, it's, it's not like, like I separate my life. I mean, I my know. life at all. I, you know, I, I, I live with this and they know, they very much know. And once in a while they're asking me, so, you know, so are you going to save her mom? Are you going to save Melissa? It's, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty intense. Um, in some situations after I film, after I, I finish the documentary, I, I, I need to separate and, and people understand they go back to their lives. But what I was uh, saying also is how much people need to talk, you know? People have very few listeners. I mean, um, people are very lonely. And I think, I pretty much think that you could make a documentary about just anybody. Everybody has a story. And people are just fascinating, uh, you know, in, in many, many ways. And, and that's what I like. I mean, I, I love the human experience. That's what I, you know, why I do what I do. I mean, it's just, it's, you know, it's a privilege. That was a pretty tough episode for me as well. It's, it's tough. She, Melissa is from Brownsville, Texas, actually. That to me was like prime journalistic experience because one, the story came to me. Two, it's a first, you know, like the first something. And three, the difference, this is about a Hispanic woman that is on death row and it has, and the reason she's on death row has a lot to do because she's a Hispanic woman. So that to me is, you know, very well done episode produced as well. And then we have obviously the two, yeah, well, the Elena Ochoa episode for me was just a huge honor. Obviously, I don't have to tell you that you were there. It's yeah, it was, it was great. It was a great, great episode. She's awesome. She's, she's a badass. She's amazing. Like I, 
just talking to her, I feel like I felt smarter after the episode. <laughs> after talking to her, yeah. she's great. And, and, and she also touches on the issues that she went through just for mm-hmm. being a woman. Literally being told, oh, I don't think you'll be able to do this. Yet she continued to do it. Uh, I can say now, as I look back, that the people that were like that didn't know me at all, right? They didn't know anything about me. I just didn't fit their view of, you know, a scientist or an engineer or astronaut or, you know, whatever it was. Whereas, fortunately, I did find encouragement from other people, you know, as I mentioned, the physics professor here, but, you know, um, fellow students and friends, obviously my mom, um, professors as I went on, uh, supervisors at work who were really encouraging and they were people that knew me. So they, they saw that I brought the characteristics that are really important, which are like hard work, <laughs> you know, a dedication, um, you know, an interest or a passion in whatever I was trying to do. Um, and that I, I could work through issues, I could learn. Um, those are what, are what are important. And, you know, anybody can bring those. There's that one. And I think this one, just because it's top of mind and, and it just happened, and also because it's the first journalist, yeah, journalist I, I interview, I think, is um, Enrique Acevedo, the first Latino first one in on 60 Minutes. If we're able to, to tell great stories and those stories create change, imagine the, the possibilities of that. So, I mean, you know, I, ideally you, you can have, um, you can create an audience and generate interest with what we do. Uh, you don't have to just you know, take a hundred selfies a day and, and post them and, and build an audience that way. No, don't take any shortcuts. Don't try to be on original. You know, it's it's a marathon. It's not a hundred meter race. And and I think it'll pay off at the end. Those of us who've been around for long enough. I mean, I've been a journalist for 22 years now. It started when I was 20. So I'm 42 now. Uh, so that's quite a long time. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I sort of take pride in that. Um, when I've had the chance to take a shortcut and say, if I do a little bit of this, I might get a little bit ahead. I just don't, you know, doesn't feel right. And and at the end of the day, um, you have to look back at at your life and your career and feel proud about everything you did. I loved that episode because I feel like we were talking the same language. I learned a lot from him. He's also a first. Again, all of these episodes, what make Latinx is that very different stories, but they all have something in common, which is they all had to live something differently because of their Latinidad, right? Like this is, he's a journalist. How many journalists do we know? Thousands and thousands, thousands. right? Yeah. But he had to live a different story because of being a Latino. Same for El Nochoa, same for Melissa and, and you know, Sabrina Van Tessel, and same for my mother and Emily Cuarenta. So that is Latinx. That's the story I'm trying to tell with every single episode. things that I want to ask you and it's because I know that you get a lot of questions and a, and a lot of messages oh how do I do this what do I do this how do I do this for, for the people that are listening to us and they actually want to you know start a podcast or they thought about the idea of having a podcast in your experience what are some of the questions that you've heard the most that can help people start a podcast if they want yes so you'd be surprised the moment you start the moment either someone finds out or you say that you're a podcast host, the first thing is, oh, what software do you use? Or like, what camera do you use? Or what microphone do you use? And it's like, huh, 
of all the questions you could have asked me first, that's the one you want to know. Cool. Okay. Um, I obviously answer. Um, that's a very frequent question I get asked. Okay. I get asked a lot, like, how do you know what to say when people right. like, how do you talk in an interview? I think that that's goes beyond just podcasting, right? Like, how do you ever know what to say in any conversation you have, which is what I tell them. You have to practice. You're not going to be good in the first 10 episodes, unless you have like, if you've already come with that background and you are, but if you are just a random Joe that does, has no journalistic experience, it takes a lot of practice. Even as a home journalist, every single interview is practice. I listen. I really listen. I love listening. <laughs> you kind of have to multitask in your mind because I have to take mental notes of, okay, this person said these three points and these are the three questions I have. And I try to keep them here in the back of my mind while I'm still listening to what's going on to keep the conversation going because that is sort of your job. I get asked, how do you get these interviews? A lot. I email them guys or I send them an inbox, a DM, direct message on Instagram or Twitter or wherever I, wherever they have social media, I try tackling them there. Like I said at the beginning, I've never received a no. I've received either no response or a yes. And I haven't received a lot of no responses because I'm, like I mentioned, I, I do my research before. I know who I'm asking and why I'm asking them. So I'm very direct in my asks. I don't just ask random people and like 50 emails at once or something like that. No. Um, I think I email maybe one person every two weeks because many times these, some interviews come to me, right? And I know the story I want to tell for each episode and I look for those stories. So that's another one. I just have a direct ask, a clear direct ask. I give them background information of what Latinx is. I usually link the episodes I told you about so that they know that this is well done. This isn't just like two people charlando ahí with no storyline or something so that they know that this is well produced and that I'm super serious about what we do and that I admire them and that I'm asking this from them because there's a clear purpose to everything. Do your best with, with what you have. So you don't have to have the best microphone in the land or the, or the best camera or the best software for that matter, but do your best. Like when you cut, be, be intentional with everything you produce and cut when you're putting the, the podcast together. I do have a good microphone, which like I said, I always have to tell them what microphone I have for some reason. Um, and then I do an outline. It doesn't matter if you're an experienced journalist. I, I don't care. Like everyone should at least do a mental outline or have an outline of where the story's starting and how it's going to go. So I always do this outline. Usually I share it with the interviewees beforehand so that they know what questions I'm going to be asking and that they prepare because sometimes it's a hit or miss. You, you get people that you ask a question and then they can ramble, 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 ramble and we forget what the point of the question was. So you kind of have to steer the wheel there and direct people during conversations. And like we mentioned before, you know, it's the, the format, it, it's a podcast. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's not a, a setting for question after question after question. Yeah, after question. exactly. It's a setting more of conversation. So having that in mind always helps. Mm -hmm. And uh, to wrap things up, I just want to ask you, to ask you personally from the beginning until now a year later um how has latinx and being uh in front of this podcast uh, how how has that helped you grow 
I guess, professionally, um, even personally, what are some of the challenges that you faced that you can look back and see, wow, at the, be at the beginning, that was really big, but now I don't see that as, as big because I have grown. I used to get very intimidated by people who have achieved a lot and who had longer resumes than I did and who um, were better at social media as well because I have my on and off moments. I think I, I'm very lazy with social media, but it's such a big, important component to who we are as a society now. And I think that doing Latinx made me a lot more confident, regardless of the fact that I didn't have this huge, long, super important resume or the fact that I wasn't, you know, I didn't have these tons of followers to justify or validate that I was the person to be doing these interviews. I think in this year I've learned that no matter who you are from Ellen Ochoa, this like huge name that represents something to many, many people, to me, doesn't matter who you are, you have a story to tell. And that to me is super empowering because as a journalist, I have the privilege of talking about these things and getting the stories. So at the end of the day, we're all human. At the end of the day, we're all important in some version of our lives. Like we, we are all the main characters in our life. And I love that. I, I love that I, I've gotten to do something tangible that helps me put that into perspective because I used to think only famous people's stories matter. Cause like when, when someone famous dies, the whole world mourns. When someone not famous dies, maybe they're just their community, maybe just their family, but that's still so big. We don't, we don't see it that way because again, the media has like morphed many of these things for us, but we all represent something to, to someone. And I am the person who's here to tell that story. And I'm super excited that I've done this for a whole year. I'm a lot more confident when doing asks. I think I have this thing now where I'm like, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> I have this which I hadn't really adopted that until I started doing Latinx. It's put life into perspective, hearing people's stories. And it definitely has reminded me that I am both unique and like everybody else. And that's such a humbling experience that has let me live a lot more of a stress-free life. Is there any last words? I've loved doing this with you, Ariel. I'm very happy that we have met I think that my favorite part of all of this has been the friendships I've made. Obviously, I, I hear this a lot when it comes to podcasting that do a podcast doesn't matter because you have access to people you would have never had access to otherwise, which is definitely true. But also, I always get really excited when I get to talk to you. Every single person I've worked on this podcast with has been just an honor. And I hope I can get to be doing this. Hopefully, I'd love to be doing this for the rest of my life. Well, Andrea, you have paved the way, and I think you've set a nice, solid base for that. And I also hope that you'll be able to do this for a really long time. And here's to Latinx. Thank you.